Jan Mueller is a 20-year sports broadcasting veteran who currently serves as the sideline radio reporter for the Seattle Seahawks. She is also an Emmy-winning producer and part of the Seattle Mariners television broadcast team. And today on Andy Fry's Sports Podcast, we're going to talk to Mueller. She's going to talk about life at the side of one of the NFL's most successful teams, and she'll also tell us about how she got into the business of broadcasting football. She'll also give us her perspective on such hot topics in the NFL, such as why Tom Brady is still so good, what's happening with Cam Newton and Trevor Lawrence, and also some anecdotes and stories about the NFL that she's worked in for so long and where she thinks the sport is going. Crack open a beer. It's time to talk some football. I'm here with sports broadcaster and football expert, Jen Mueller. How you doing? I'm good. I don't know that I've ever been referenced as a football expert. I've always wanted to be, but I don't think anybody's actually said that to me. Thanks, Andy. Well, it's about time. So I know that, I don't know a whole lot about you, but I know you, you're born, I think you're born and you grew, grew up in Texas. And of course, uh, you know, it, it's beaten into our head that football is huge in Texas, it just kind of comes with being you know, someone who lives there. So you're not based in Texas now, but I want to kind of get your lowdown on sort of your origins as a sports fan, becoming someone who works in the sports industry as a broadcaster. And also I think you had said previous to our conversation here that you were an official too. So just kind of give me your background. Tell me like how much you love football and sort of how it's propelled you into being where you are today. Yeah, when you grow up in Texas, you're right. Football is king. But it really wasn't until I got to college that I dove into football as a fan and as a football official. My mm -hmm. brother grew up playing football. He was the quarterback. He was the stud. I was an athlete. I Basketball was my big sport. I do think I missed my calling in football because I used every single foul uh, during every game that I ever played in high school. But when I went to college at SMU, I was not a good enough athlete to play collegiately. I was still ultra competitive. I am still ultra competitive. And I needed a way to have like an outlet for that competition. Yeah. So I became an intramural flag football official. And as silly as that sounds, every level of football is huge in Texas. And they teach you how to study a rule book. And I traveled to tournaments around the South. I became an all-American flag football official, which actually is a thing. That is a nationally recognized thing. And when I needed a new challenge, I joined the Dallas chapter of high school football officials. I did that for 10 years. And yeah. there was a couple of reasons for that. One, again, I wanted something to compete in. Two, I knew that if I wanted to be in sports broadcasting at the time in the late 90s, they were not encouraging women to go into broadcasting. Yeah. And if I was going to talk about a professional sport without having played in college, that was going to be an uphill battle. So my plan was, let me show you how serious I am by investing my free time and turning this into a hobby. And it took a long time for that to pay off. I, I can't tell you yeah. how many times I was laughed at on the field and you mm -hmm. know how many times I went home and cried by myself, but it did give me the credibility that I needed to ultimately kind of talk my way into becoming the Seahawks sideline reporter. And when guys meet me now and I say, look, I get this. This is what I used to do. This is the level that I understand the game. It absolutely yeah. helps with relationships and getting the answers I need in interviews. Yeah, I think relationships is, is underrated because I've got a lot of friends who are great writers who are 
and I know that you're primarily broadcast, but if you've ever written, sometimes you know that you got to kind of wrangle with an editor. I, I think relationships are really underrated. And this is coming from me. I used to work in a cubicle in the corporate world and found out that I was probably a lot better at blogging about sports than I was at uh, being a corporate citizen. That's kind of why I'm you know, writing about sports full time now. But but tell me a little bit more about building relationships because I'm I you know I don't know your experience personally but I presume that at least it's still today there's got to be some some version of they don't take women seriously like they should there's got to be some presence of that still so kind of tell me about your experience with that before you got into this and now yeah, I really wanted to be taken seriously when I first got into the industry. And I asked my mentor any number of times, how do I get them to take me seriously? And there was no solid evidence that they weren't. That was my own internal fear that I needed to overcome. And he would tell me, look, just keep showing up and doing what you're doing. And I truly thought it was lip service. And I kept wanting that one big thing that would show them that I deserve to be there and belong. And now looking back after 20 years in the industry, he yeah. was absolutely right. People miss. And when you talk about relationship building, it is showing up consistently so that they expect to see you there. The mm -hmm. number one thing I have done over the course of my career to be taken seriously is I show up at every practice, press conference, and game that I possibly can. And when they see me, I say hello. And I say it with a smile on my face. That's how every relationship starts. And yeah. I know that if I do that for three, four, five consecutive days, they are going to start walking off the field and saying hi to me first. Yeah. And when they do that and they use my name and they say, hey, Jen, or hi, Jen, I know that I'm in and I know that I have got them to the point where they will do an interview with me. And in those first few years, I always felt like everything that came out of my mouth was something that was going to be judged. So mm -hmm. I learned very quickly that I better ask sharp questions. I better ask good questions. I better be on brand every time I show up. For example, my male counterparts can show up and watch practice from the berm in their shorts and their flip flops and they can sit down and they can be casual. You won't ever catch me doing that. You yeah. won't catch me, you know, not prepared to answer or to ask questions because that's where I'm going to get credibility. And thankfully, you know, I've been with the Seahawks for 13 years. I've covered the Seattle Mariners for 15 years. I've got relationships in the locker rooms with with key players, right? So the minute you see me talking to Bobby Wagner or to Dwayne Brown or to Tyler Lockett, all the new guys go, oh, she's good. We got it. Yeah. Well, so one thing I was going to ask you about, so you grew up in Texas. You went to SMU. You're not a, are you a Dallas Cowboys fan by chance? No, I grew up in Houston. So I was a Houston Oilers fan. Okay. Because I, I grew up in Philadelphia and, and you know, pretty much uh, Cowboys are, are the devil doll. Eagles fans and but you know the Eagles got their butts handed to them on Monday night so so be it yeah the the Cowboys locker room was the first NFL locker room I was in and that was as an intern when I was working for a TV station in Dallas and I tell you what they were still America's team Troy Aikman was still the quarterback all of the big name players were in there and that was an experience I wasn't going to stay in that market long enough to build relationships yeah. that was one of the more intimidating and I'm just going to say least liked experiences of my entire career, but it did teach me a lot about how badly do you want to be in here, right? Yeah. What do you want to put up with? How badly do you want to be in here? You fought the fight to get into the locker room. 
is that going to be enough for you sort of thing? Yeah. So you've been in Seattle for a while, you know, obviously kind of knee jerk. Some of us think of as, as a progressive city and maybe like all major cities are today. But I think about the Seahawks differently than I think about, let's say, the Patriots and the, and the Cowboys. And maybe it's because the Patriots have been under Bill Belichick for so long. I think about Pete Carroll and players that he's put in play. Like I was just looking at the, at the depth chart and I know, you know quite a bit about Russell Wilson and a little bit about Freddie Swain, but I'm not really seeing like marquee names pop out. Maybe perhaps 2021 is not going to be the Seahawks' best season, but you know, over the life of the last last 15 years or so, they've been a, been a pretty successful franchise, especially when you think about that they didn't exist, you know, until the mid 70s. So you know, you don't have to tell me any trade secrets, but what is the sort of mo that the Seahawks, you know, how they how they keep being innovative? I'm interested in that sort of approach. That they have. I think innovation is a good word for it. I think even though Pete Carroll is the oldest coach in the NFL, he still has a growth mindset and he is willing to try new things. And I think part of that is because when he welcomes players into the team, the players, they've got team rules you have to follow. Yeah. but they don't conform their personalities mm -hmm. as you might need to under other coaches yeah. to fit a certain box. And I think when you see players who are outspoken, whether it's just on the field and they talk trash and that's their personality or they're outspoken about race issues or mental health issues, it forces you to learn. Well, if you're willing to listen, right? And grow. And I do think that there's a lot of growth there. I do think that Pete cares about bringing the best out of people. Mm -hmm. And the discipline that he shows in that, and I'm going to say the discipline he and Russell Wilson show in their weekly press conferences in being optimistic and forward thinking mm -hmm. is amazing. Yeah. You have covered sports a long time. I have covered sports a long time. We know that even, you know, the, the best quarterback in the best team, they might, they might throw a little dig at their, at, at the wide receiver that didn't want run the right route. Right. Yeah. Never. Never in those press conferences. It's amazing to me. And so I do think that it's allowing people to be who they are. Yeah. And if you're trying to figure out how they best fit, you're going to have to change your scheme a little bit, right? You're going to have to utilize different talents. And I do think that that is part of why you are seeing the Seahawks and the success that they've had. Well, it's weird because so when I think about spoken players, especially with the Seahawks, we think about at the end of the Super Bowl that the, the Seahawks should have won. Um, Marshawn's reaction to them choosing to pass at the end of it. I'm not going to go through what, what he what he went through. And then I, I actually talked to uh, Richard Sherman. I think I talked to him when he was still in the Seahawks and before he went, before he went to the 49ers. I mean, obviously he's outspoken uh, to say the least. But, I, but now we're seeing very different versions of being outspoken and being yourself. It was, I'd say, you know, me growing up in the 70s, 80s, the most outspoken you got was – you know, seeing guys like uh, Jim McMahon and, and, and the, the 85 Bears kind of show the personality mouth off a little bit and be irreverent. Now we're hearing, you know, Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, you know, put self-care first and talk about that. We're talking about Carl uh, Nassib, if I'm saying his name right, the Raiders player coming out. Maybe if, since you're closer to the field than I am, talk about how that really un unfolds because you see mostly football players, baseball players, but I want to get your read on sort of the national conversation that we've begun to have in the last couple of months here on mental health and being yourself and, and not having to conform to, you know, rules and sort of unspoken mores as in the past. 
I think what I have seen in the last five to six years is athletes recognizing that they are more than the sport they play. It is very similar to all of the career advice that any business person ever gets, right? Anybody coming out of college gets. You can't put your self-worth and your value in the work that you do. There has to be more to you than that. And for so long, and Andy, you know this from being in locker rooms and around athletes. When I first got into this, man, if you asked a player what they were going to do after their career was over, I mean, that was like, oh my gosh, they would shut down that conversation because the minute you started thinking about anything other than your profession, the thought was, well, you've already you're you're already two steps towards retirement. Then, man, yeah. get out of here because you're not giving it a hundred percent. And now, I mean, Bobby Wagner, the Seahawks middle linebacker who has been in the league for ten years, he gets the podium every week for the Seahawks. Yeah, this year he is now dedicating the first two minutes of his press conference to a cause or an organization or a person that he wants to educate not only the media but the fan base about. And he came out in week one and he said, I'm doing this because I recognize that I am more than just a football player. And I want other people to see that yeah. there's something else there. And he does his research and, and, and he does have passions outside of that. And I think that goes in line with the mental health conversations that we're having. You are more than the athlete. You are more than the results. And being able to say that, look, you're all human beings, but yeah. when you are the best in the world at what you do and you get put on a pedestal, it's easy to think that your life is easy. If you actually spent time around these people, the number one thing you would find out is that they are human beings just like you and me. They have the same emotions. Yeah. That's where you build relationships. That's where you are able to dig deep. And so I am glad that they have found their voice because it's not like this is a new problem or a new challenge. Yeah. But it definitely is seeing them as whole people and them seeing themselves as whole people, not just as incredible athletes. Well, it's interesting. We're flipping the script here because I remember uh, in the 90s, you know, when I was in my 20s and, uh, you know, I didn't have a girlfriend. I spent a lot of time watching TV. And I would always kind of frown to see Fran Tarkenden doing like infomercials for beds and like tomato slicers or whatever. Now we're at a point where Neon Dion doesn't want to be called Neon Dion anymore. He wants to be called coach. And he's coaching, you know, he's not coaching Texas or, uh, you know, the U. He's coaching Jackson State. Nothing, there's wrong, nothing wrong with that. But he wants to be, you know, something post uh, Dallas Cow Cowboys, all a superstar and, Pro Bowler and Super Bowl champion, um, but getting onto so maybe a, a, another angle of it is that so we're seeing this sort of conversation. Is it that we're finally giving the athletes the ability to reboot without being under the scrutiny or judgment, or do you think that sponsors are being a little bit more forgiving, more than even more so than the media and sort of the fans are with regard to these people being human and being able to take time out and do something besides you know, win trophies and be glorious on the field? You know, I think that there is a greater understanding for the human side of athletes after the last 18 months of being in a pandemic and having to change everything about what you've done. And I think a lot of people, I speak from personal experience. When you take away what I do best, my yeah. ability to go into a locker room, to build relationships and to do interviews. And I'm forced to sit at home and do everything from Zoom. And the fear in the back of my mind is, am I going to be forgotten? 
you start experiencing distress and stress, right? And I think that there's a lot more empathy that's come out of this last 18 months because I'm not a highly paid athlete, but I understand what it feels like when you can't do what it is that you want to do at a high level. So I do think that fans are giving athletes a little bit more space. And I don't know if the sponsors are kind of being dragged along because there's always money involved in that, right? Like, I don't know what that dynamic is, but I do think that when when the fan base accepts that, okay, this is what needs to happen, sponsors don't have any choice but yeah. to do that. And I do think that companies are recognizing this in their own employees, which is also making it easier to say, okay, we need to give the grace and space to these athletes as well. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about uh, football in 2021, because I think uh, if we go sort of by the old paradigms, we expected, you know, Trevor Lawrence to be, I mean, we, we know he's, a, he's at a team that's not good, but we, he hasn't even been amazing singularly on his own. And then we've got, uh, you know, I'm 49, I'm halfway to 50 here. And, you know, my uh, compatriot generationally, Tom Brady is still killing it, you know, in a team that I, when I was growing up, I graduated high school in 1990. So in the late 70s, was when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were just kind of an upstart blip and we didn't know with their ridiculous colors and the awful logo on their helmet, whether they'd actually be around or they'd be bought and rebranded. And then uh, they started to be taken seriously, you know, like 10 years ago or so when they beat the Raiders in the Super Bowl, it was like, wow, the laughing stock is finally legit. And now they're rebooting with a bunch of, you know, we could joke about them being senior citizens, but this, somehow, and maybe it's Brady more than the coach that are making this thing work. It's just kind of a strange incubator of an experiment in football. But, like, what the hell is going on? You're Again, you're closer to the game than I am. Is it something in the water? Is it, you know, what's going on? <laughs> well, I think with Tom Brady and with any player who's been in the league for, for 10 plus years, right? So now you're looking at Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, guys that I cover on a daily basis. Yeah. It's their ability to adapt. I cannot tell you how many older guys, and keep in mind I am older than every single one of them, right, <laughs> have said, I don't do the same thing now that I did when I came into the league. I can't. My body can't take it anymore. I've understand. I've started to understand that less is more. I spend more time in recovery. I spend less time in the gym. I know exactly what it takes. And I think, again, it's that growth mindset of being willing to change what it was that worked to get you here. That's not what's going to keep you in the NFL. And I think Tom Brady has been amazing that, at that. I also think the routine and the habit, it is hard not to get bored with consistency. I mean, it is really hard, right? Like, you know that that's how you map your way to success. And yet, Think about how many times he's gotten up before dawn and driven to the facility and been like, do I really need to do that this day? Yeah. And yet he continues to do that. On the flip side of that with Trevor Lawrence, look, I always think it is dangerous for people to want to see rookies in these high profile roles like a quarterback. There is a ton going on. And Jacksonville did not have a fantastic team around him, right? There are pieces, but they don't have an established veteran team. He didn't just get plugged into, you know, a, a team that had done well and, and was expected to succeed this year. I think expectations end up crushing the spirit of so many rookies out there. And it's not yeah. their fault. He's doing the very best that he can. And that's not to say that he's not going to be a good quarterback in the end. But boy, he, he's got 
He's got a tough situation with a coach that's new to the NFL, a team that wasn't built to win right now, and he being a rookie. My hope is, from what I've seen in college and, and the interviews that I've seen, that he can take this all in without being crushed and that it becomes a growth experience. But you're seeing this. There were four rookie quarterbacks that started in week three. Not a single one of them won, and those numbers don't look pretty. It's the person who can handle that, I think, mentally and physically, that will end up being successful in the course of their career. So speaking of tough situations and being a day able to adapt or not, we've got Cam Newton. I'm not sure what Cam Newton's doing this week. Uh, is he, I mean, is, is he going to be the next, um, you know, sort of super backup? Is he going to go play in Canada? Like, I, do you even know? He, I, he's, a, he's a phenomenal athlete from in terms of, him being a specimen and being strong and fast, um, you know, we can we can sort of argue about whether his his outfits are over the top or not. He's definitely got some <laughs> style and a sort of an image thing that plays in his head, but it's not really come together on the field. I mean, enough to if you trust Belichick at all, I guess you got to trust his instinct that he he made the movie, didn't he? He cut Cam Newton. So now, what for Cam Newton? Is he? Can he be repurposed elsewhere? Like what's going on in your mind about, uh, I mean, this once great, you know, prospect of a quarterback. You know, I would suspect that there's a little bit of a branding issue there for him, right? And part of that goes to the Bill Belichick cutting him and, and saying what he said. And part of it just goes to the way that he has portrayed himself in the media, right? Whether it's not not being self-aware enough about where he fits on the on the team and how well he knows the playbook and how well he's actually executing. That's not to say that he is a bad person or that he's not talented. I do think he's going to have to find a place where perhaps he is the backup because there's an injury and they just need to get somebody in and show that he's the person that can be trusted to run your offense. Again, not a talent thing. Right. It's can you do what we're asking you to do? Can you execute in those big moments? He's done it in Carolina. Right. It's not like he hasn't delivered or taken a team to the Super Bowl. Um, I honestly don't know what's next. And I'm a little bit surprised that we have not heard more about him. And we are now a few weeks into the season. I would have thought that's a name that would have come up before now, just given his experience and the success that he has had in the league. Yeah. Well, so let's, why don't we talk a little bit about defense? Because I always feel like in all sports, and I'm biased because maybe maybe it's because I was never a, a super athlete, but I always played defense in all the sports that I played. I still feel like defense is underrated. So, you know, what defenses in the NFL um, sort of get you excited? Which ones frighten you if you if you were to step in the shoes of a quarterback? Like, I just want to get uh, a read on a little bit more deeper cut sense of defense because we could talk about quarterbacks all day and everybody everybody else doing a podcast right now is focusing on that what about the defense and i i come to this come to you with this question loaded because i always love the seattle seahawks defense i will admit that one time the last time uh several years ago the last time i played fantasy football i actually drafted their defense first much to the ire of everybody who said i was crazy but it worked out and i want to get um your read on that and just sort of maybe some uh some special things that you've seen that we're not aware of about the Seahawks defense or defense in general, both, both. I do think the Seahawks defense and that Legion of boom set the tone for a lot of what we see now in the NFL, 
right? It was the Seahawks who found corners like Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner, who was from the Canadian Football League. It is the Seahawks who made a big safety like Cam Chancellor a possibility in the NFL. I do think a lot of what you've seen is a result of the success they had. Heck, the year the Seahawks won the Super Bowl against the Broncos, the Broncos had much smaller corners. The very next year, they went out and the profile of DBs that they were looking at changed to be exactly what Seattle has. It is hard to find corners like that anymore because they are in such high demand. Now, Seattle's defense is not functioning the way that anybody in the Pacific Northwest expects at this time of year. What you would like to see is something along the lines of the Los Angeles Rams, who are always a thorn in the side of the Seahawks. But man, how what do you do against that defense? I mean, what do you do with a front like that? With Aaron Don, what do you do with Jalen Ramsey? I mean, that that sort of thing um, is always the one that I look at. And then really, I look more at kind of the individual players, right, and how they can affect different things. And from week to week, any of those defenses, they're always a flaw in that. Um, I spend so much time just looking at the Seahawks and upcoming opponents. I'm just looking at that one guy this week. I'm looking at Nick Bosa and the San Francisco 49ers and Fred Warner, you know, like what they're going to be able to do and what that's going to force the the Seahawks offense to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I do agree that they are underrated as far as the defense goes. And I would say that it is also causing problems with the Seahawks offense, given time of possession and the number of plays that opposing offenses are running against the Hawks right now. So here's a, a high-level question that would sound elementary to maybe the people you knock around. You know, where do, how do we – tell me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm thinking about the 85 Bears, their line, just their whole defense really terrorizing quarterbacks. As someone who grew up an Eagles fan, I remember the Sports Illustrated issue that showed a picture of Danny White just getting basically just put down by the Chicago uh, defense. And it, it, I don't think it said anything other than 44 nothing which was great if you're an Eagles fan, you hate the Cowboys. We, we kind of went from that reign of terror type of defense that, that is blitz, blitz, blitz to something that, you know, and I think the Legion of Boom and the Seattle Seahawks and a few other defenses really perfected what was this much more uh, sophisticated, multifaceted style of defense, which I have to imagine has to at least come adaptively from the fact that you had – Going back, let's say 10 years, 10, 12 years, you had both quarterbacks who could run and decided to run first, like uh, for a while, Mike Vick and Colin Kaepernick, and then the slot receiver evolution in the AFC. You know, a couple of different phenomenon that sort of made the best defenses really hard to deal with. And then you had a couple of defenses like the Seahawks change. Is, is, it, is it, you know, the pendulum swinging both ways that, Offense makes defense adapt and become more innovative, to use that word, or were they two separate things going on at the same time that were just awesome to watch? Well, I think it's awesome to watch. I do think they have to adapt. The rules have also changed. Mm -hmm. The rules are way harder now on the defense than they ever were, so you aren't going to be as physical all over the field as you once were. I know that there are plenty of guys in the league right now that would like a chance to take a couple of more shots and to play more of that snot-nosed type football. I also think you just have to look at the overall speed of the game. I mean, you talk about the speed of the slot receivers, but just speed of receivers altogether, the size and the agility of an offensive line, those guys aren't just taking a step or two forward, right? I mean, that 
There are so much size and speed difference now than there was 10 years ago and certainly 20 years ago. I do think you have to be more versatile to that because there's so many more options. Even the quarterbacks that don't run very often, they still have other guys that can they can get that that flow of the offense going right. They can run for a few yards when they need to. I just think that the defense has to be able to do so much more and to cover guys that are so much faster, stronger, bigger, you know, more advanced than what we have ever seen before. So here's the last question. Tell me about like some of the people who inspired you either, you know, when you were sports, not watching sports that made it, you want to, be by the sideline and in the locker room. And also, I, I don't know if any women journalists or journalists out there made you want to do what you do professionally, but tell me about some uh, inspirational people in your life and sort of out there in the sports world that that kind of helped Jen Mueller become you know what she is today. There was a sports broadcaster in Houston when I grew up. Her name was Lisa Moloski. And this was before I really thought that sports broadcasting was a profession that I could go into. I thought I was going to be a third grade Lutheran school teacher when my high school guidance counselor kind of stepped in and said, look, you like to talk a lot. You're not afraid to talk in front of people. Maybe you should think about broadcasting. Hmm. But before that conversation ever took place, I wrote Lisa Molosky a note. Mm -hmm. She was doing a lot of Houston Rocket stuff. And I remember saying, you know, you just have the coolest job. I'm a huge sports fan. I think it would be so awesome, you know, to talk to, to players after the game. I just wanted you to know I love what you do. Mm -hmm. She wrote a letter back and she said, it is a really cool job. But the thing you need to remember is that athletes are people too. Mm -hmm. And she said, good luck in whatever you're going to do. And I wish I would have kept the letter. I actually reached out to her a handful of years ago and said, I know that you'll never remember this, mm -hmm. but I have never forgotten those words. And once I started going down the path of sports yeah. broadcasting, I thought, okay, I've seen somebody do this before. Melissa Stark was one that I loved on the sidelines. And again, I didn't think at the time that being a sideline reporter was an option. I thought the best I could ever do was be a local sports broadcaster. You know, like do the, the nightly news, right? Do the weekend news and sports. Yeah. If you would have told me that I would be able to work for a regional sports network and be the sideline reporter for an NFL team, I would have laughed at you. And so if there are folks that are thinking about broadcasting, but you can't figure out what your next step is, don't worry about it. You just need to get in and start doing the work. And then the next steps become a little bit more obvious. Then people start to see the work that you're doing. And then you will be able to kind of to make decisions from there. But every time I would get into a place, you know, there was somebody that just gave me a word of encouragement, even if it was the photographer that I bribed with donuts and beer to shoot a stand up. Right. You know, it's like, hey, you got that on one take. Great. We'll be able to do that again next week sort of thing. There were a lot of little moments that kept me going along the way, but those two gals in particular, and then of course, Hannah Storm and Linda Cohn and, you know, gals that I work with now on the sidelines, Michelle Tafoya, you know, they're all wonderful. And for as much as we talk about competition, it is truly, it's a sisterhood and a community almost when we're working together on games we're not competing against each other. We're helping each other. And it is really cool to see those relationships develop over the years. Great. Well, it's great talking to you. Thanks, uh, Jen Mueller, for taking time to talk to me. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy.
Thanks again for listening to Andy Fry Sports Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at, at @sportyfry. That's Fry with an E.